0: Okay, this is going to have to be a lo-fi ramble type of thing, Um, going for extended voice note type of vibe. Swift mania is taking over the house, (laughs) It's taking over the city and I got to go, I got to go do an airport run, I got to buy food, got to set up the spare bed. Uh, I'm really not I'm really not on top of things in any way, shape or form. And work continues to be extremely busy. I think you probably know this, but this show really only exists because uh, up until now, I've had a a day job that I could kind of just skive off for at least one day a week to make this show. But recently that's become much, much harder because the day job is like an actual job but you'll be proud of me. On Wednesday last week, I sat down with my boss. Well, actually, I didn't I didn't sit down with her. We had like six minutes left of a, another meeting we were having. And she was like, oh, okay, so we need to talk about staffing. Um, so you don't want to renew your contract, do you? And I was like, no, actually, I really don't. It was like this weird mutual breakup vibe. Like there is no job for me after mid-April anyway because they're run out of money. But even if there had been one, I wouldn't have taken it. But I kind of wanted to be offered one just for ego purposes. Anyway, point is, after mid-April, things will be a lot calmer and that's really not very far away. But in the meantime, it is Sunday afternoon, it is 11 a.m. and I am sitting here on my bed with my notes and I have a bit of a ramble for you. I was over in Albert Park on Monday, God, was that only Monday? We had a heatwave last weekend and I went over to Albert Park because a friend of mine gave me the key to his house and he has air conditioning. So I went and hung out there for the day, which was an absolute lifesaver. And. Uh, In the afternoon, I wandered over to the shops and I went to Avenue Bookstore, which I'd never been to before. And I'm about to be a bit of a bitch about some of the stuff they had in the shop, but that is no reflection on the lovely people who work there. I heard this lovely exchange between uh, a guy and a customer. The guy who worked there was like, ah, yes, there's a lot of good books, aren't there? And then the customer goes, yeah, no, that's not the problem. I think he was trying to choose a present for um, his kids or something. But when when I go to a new bookshop, I always get really curious about when something poetry related gets to live outside of the poetry section, which I feel is happening more and more. I'm noticing that more and more. Poetry books are sitting up next to the cash register. They're sitting in that front table display. This didn't used to happen young ones, this was not, this was not the case <laughs> previously. And right at the front of this bookshop, there was a display with three journals, three hardback journals, like journals that you write in, that had been put out by Faber and Faber. It was the Faber Liberty Poetry Diary, the Faber and Faber Poetry Diary, which I think was kind of the same content, but with a different cover. And then the Faber Poetry Journal. And there were beautiful things, really, really gorgeous. As the names suggested, they were weekly and monthly diaries. Um, And the journal one was just a blank journal, basically just an expensive notebook. But the diaries were kind of interesting. I'll read you what was on the back cover of the... Thank you for that, Rosellas. Of the... um, the Faber-Liberty Poetry Diary. It says, The Faber Poetry List, originally founded in the 1920s, was shaped by the taste of T.S. Eliot, who was its guiding light for nearly 40 years. Each passing decade has seen it grow with the addition of poets who are arguably the finest of their generation. The Liberty Faber Poetry Diary is a celebration of this remarkable Faber List. And so basically this diary, I think my input's a bit mental there. Um, Basically the diary is like, it's a weekly, monthly organizer and then interspersed throughout that there are poems. Poets including Simon Armitage, Emily Berry, William Blake, the Bronte sisters, Emily Dickinson, Thomas Hardy, Eliot, Hausman, Hughes, Sylvia Plath, Sappho, Derek Walcott, Stevie Smith, Yates, James Heaney. Um, Yeah, you know, a, a totally, a totally inoffensive collection of poets. So this thing, given this February, this diary was discounted, $32. It was very pretty. I... I wasn't not tempted. I did used to keep a paper diary, and yeah, I thought, oh, I don't know, I could. For a second there, it seemed like a good idea, but I know now that there there should be a shelf in bookstores, probably somewhere between the art book section and the wrapping paper, and it should be labelled aspirational tat. Like, this is stuff that you buy that is just too pretty to use. You should never buy a notebook that's that pretty because you're never going to write in it. But it kind of it, it simultaneously interested me and irritated me. Something about this like when the poetry comes out of the poetry section and sits at the front of the, the shop I feel a bit of a proprietary like why have you guys put that there? Do you know what you're doing? What are you saying? Um, And I was thinking about this diary and I was like, who is this thing for? Because it's not for me. Would any poet that you know buy a diary that had Emily Berry, Seamus Heaney, Robert Browning, George Eliot? Like, maybe... Maybe you do. Maybe you would like that. Maybe that's a good gift for you. But I just can't really imagine myself kind of opening up and being like, ah, yes, February. Allow me to consider this Emily Berry poem every day this week as I keep track of my appointments and commitments in my life as a poet, which are very evenly and reasonably spaced. I just, I can't. I can't see myself doing that. And I really can't see the non-poets in my life, those other people. I can't see them wanting to do that either. Do they want to read an Emily Berry poem every time they open up and remember that they have to go to the dentist? It feels like it's for that friend. It's a gift that you buy that friend who has said like a month before Christmas, I really wanna get into poetry. And so you buy them the Faber Poetry Journal and they go, oh, thank you so much. This is great. I'm gonna, this is gonna be my, my new thing for 2024. And then it is a really pretty coaster. So continuing to be irritated by it and as I was walking home, I was thinking like, why are the selections in these things so deadly boring? I I think this is a serious character flaw of mine, but I get so angry about being bored. Like, I went to this party yesterday. Um, Dear friends, lovely people, just, you know, absolutely nothing wrong with anything that was going on there. But I bring this attitude of like, if I get bored, I'm just like, this sucks. I hate this. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be here. Uh, and I particularly I have no patience when it comes to boredom in poetry. I think I used to have a little bit more patience, but whatever I used to have is just gone these days. I just feel so strongly that testing the patience of a reader with a poem is just... I don't know, like, kind of unforgivable, really. Uh, yeah, you can be anything, but but don't, please don't be boring. I was thinking about this watching this um, Netflix series. I ran out of my terrible reality TV show that I was watching, and I ended up watching this thing called Feud. They have a second season, which is all about Capote. Capote writing answered prayers. It has this cast oh my god let me like this is crazy this is totally insane that they have managed to make this show it's called feud Capote versus the swans it's directed by Gus Van Sant or at least the first episode is the cast is Naomi Watts Diane Lane Chloe Savini Callista Flockhart Demi Moore Molly Molly Ringwald and Treat Williams plays Capote and he's he's phenomenal But like, and this is the story, if you don't know, of Capote writing his final novel, which he never managed to complete, which basically told the story of all these um, Manhattan socialites, like cream of the crop, very rich men's wives who had a lot of secrets, and uh, Capote was writing these very thinly veiled Accounts of these of these women's lives and he published a little bit. He published some of it in Esquire At which point these women which he called the swans uh, Turned on him and realized that he was about to sell all their secrets and he lost all his friends and all his social capital and answered prayers Did come out eventually after his death, but it was never properly completed So what could be more interesting than that? Okay, that's like a fascinating, incredible story. But this show, directed by Gus Van Sant, Treat Williams, that incredible cast, it's boring. It's so boring. (laughs) It's just so hard to watch. Like the script is turgid. Everything is as you know, Bob. Like it's just exposition city. Oh my God. I Yeah, and I was just so angry. I'm like this you're never gonna get to make this again Why are you fucking it up so monumentally anyway? So why coming back to my point? huge digression on uh, Truman Capote Why are the selections in something like this in this uh, poetry journal? Why do they have to be so deadly boring? Like why does it have to be poetry as decoration? I just don't get that. I kind of want to make one of these things that actually has interesting poems in it. Because, like, what is the goal with a a notebook like this? The goal is to get you looking at the same poem over and over again on different days, right? So you have, like, repeated exposure to it and you, you come to see it differently over time, your understanding is deepened. And I think that's a good goal. Good things can come of that. Another way that we do this is we put poems in places like in public transport. So you see the same poem every day over time. But my experience of that is that these poems are again, almost always poetry as decoration. I had, uh, I wrote down this one that was in the subway when I was in New York. And I will read it to you now as an example. This is called Uncertainty Principle at Dawn by a poet called Catherine Barnett. I have no idea who Catherine is, but this is her poem, Uncertainty Principle at Dawn. Come morning, I'll make a list of obsessions and maybe you won't still be on it. Only $5 bills, telescopes, anonymity, waiting, beauty, silent comedy, the silent comedy of beauty, of waiting. Could I forswear all these things and just crawl back into the bed you and I once slept in? What would happen then? Play any film backward and it's elegy. Play it fast forward and it's a gas. So, I mean, that's deeply fine. Uh, That line, only $5 bills, telescopes, anonymity, waiting, beauty, silent comedy, the silent comedy of beauty of waiting. This is apparently her list of obsessions. (laughs) That's like, I don't know. Oh, my cat's come to interrupt me at a key point here. I'm making a very important point about listing and, and the damage that Walt Whitman has done to American poetry, and now you're here. And that's just really not helpful. Um, yeah, that's that's terrible. Okay, why would, why would your list of obsessions be $5 bills, telescopes, anonymity, waiting, beauty, silent comedy, and the silent comedy of beauty? I mean that's just funny, like that's just so bad it's funny. Um, Yeah, but basically this poem is not going to offend or upset anyone, it's just nice and inoffensive and works well in a subway car. But we do, like, this is not a bad impulse though, to get poems in front of people repeatedly you can't just read a poem once really books of poems are sort of the worst way to present them because it it suggests that you do just read the page and then you turn the page and you don't necessarily have to go back to it And I was thinking okay well where where would you put your poems if you wanted people to see them over and over again would you put them on a mug, would you project them up onto a building? Would you paste them up onto walls? That's something that people do here in Melbourne quite a bit. That allows for repeated exposure, sure, but it's a bit random. It's a bit unreliable. Maybe poems do just need to be in books. Maybe they need to stay in books. And then I was thinking, okay, well, what if it's like a book of poems, but it wasn't all the same author and it wasn't boring. And then I realized that I just invented the anthology. Then I thought, okay, could I, could I do one of those Everyman series anthologies? Like, would they let me do that? Those Everyman library pocket poets, you know, those little baby ones that kind of, um, they've got like a little gold, I'm looking over at my New York one over on the shelf here, which is honestly one of my favorite poetry books, but it's just this little, little baby thing with a little gold spine. Uh, And they have all kinds of different ones. They have poems of New York, they have Rumi. I looked up the website and they now have anthologies on all these crazy themes. They have little poems, Uyghur poems, fairy poems, river poems, they have one called Buzzwords, which is just bee poems. They have one called Poems About Trees. They have one called Real Verse, which is just poems about the movies. So, I don't know. I feel like I should be allowed to do one of these. Like, I don't even have to have poems in the title. I, I reckon I want to make a, an Australian one of these. I could make, uh, I was thinking, it could be called Pash Poems. It's just Australian Romantic Poetry, or it could be called Totally Devo, Australian Poetry of Lament. These are just, I'm just stealing ideas from you here, Lou. Eventually I settled on, this is is my Everyman series pitch, okay? Somebody could forward this to them. I want to do an anthology of Australian poetry called Loose Unit, Poetry That's Not Boring from Australia. This is, this is my pitch. I think, I think it might be great. I need to, I need to by here for just for a second because I had a really good question from a Norwegian listener. I've got a couple of Norwegian listeners. I've got Sophie and I've got uh Toy I think is how I should be pronouncing his name. So he wrote to me with this question, he said, I've been wondering about genre mag poetry in Australia. I've been really enjoying some of the poetry in American genre mags like Nightmare and Uncanny. Do Australians have to seek markets abroad for non-lit poetry? And do you have any predominantly genre poets? Uh, and I wrote back and said, um, basically not that I know of. I did I did point Toy uh, Bear towards the work of Adam Ford, but... Apart from that, I don't, I really don't know anyone who's writing, I mean, I'm sure there are poets who are writing genre poetry here in Australia, but they haven't come across my desk at this point. But this email had me thinking about, like, I do feel like I have something of a responsibility to my overseas listeners, because I know that I'm giving a strong impression of what Australian poetry is like. But I'm also, like, I really need you to know, and I hope that this is clear, that this is a very idiosyncratic, personal and inaccurate impression of what Australian poetry is like. And this was, um, became even more, like, worrying, this became even more worrying to me when a couple of other listeners wrote to me and said, oh yeah, no, I've been, um, been recommending your show to my students. And... I mean, what an incredible compliment that is. And I'm so grateful to have you listening if you are a student, but also like, you gotta know, I am just a person sitting on her bed in in Fitzroy. Like, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if I should be teaching you anything. But I kind of think that this idea of this uh, my anthology, my imaginary everyman anthology, might help me get out of this problem, like might help me think about this in a different way. I also had an email from the I want to say, I want to say South African Australian. I don't know if that's how he would describe himself, but the poet John Mattia wrote to me um, a real thrilled to know that John is out there listening. He wrote to say a bunch of lovely things, but part of what he said was he wanted to, he wanted to suggest paying a bit more close attention to the poems themselves. He said, may I say that I very much liked the way that you incorporated Ken Bolton's reading of his poem and your explanation of it into one experience. This is the episode I did with Ken maybe six months ago now. I certainly think that was the effect that was effective and enjoyable. And in doing so, we listeners were able to pay close attention to the poem itself. Perhaps you could do more of that in the future. I think too little attention in the poetry world today is paid to the poems themselves as entities, readings, recollections and events." Yeah, and I do, I think about that pretty regularly, John, because I get pretty sidetracked here. And every now and then I think, I should probably talk about a poem. On my poetry podcast Uh, I'm doing a a, working on a couple of bigger episodes at the moment which are very much not about that but I want to try to keep things in balance it's a it's something I hold in in tension here but thinking about this anthology of mine my everyman anthology which I'm definitely going to be able to do uh, this this could help me like there's lots and lots of problems with anthologies In general because they're really just so often just exercises in trying to satisfy everybody but if we make loose unit if we make this anthology I think we have an opportunity to make something kind of fantastic because okay the premise is it's Australian poetry it's Australian poetry that's not boring here's the rest of my pitch here's my my pitch to um who actually publishes this the everyman series hang on oh penguin penguin random house okay penguin here's here's what I want to do I don't want to put in any of the obvious choices I don't want to put in Forbes or Harwood or um, you know all, all the basics the people we can recite like I don't I don't actually want to put in anyone who is dead I want to make an anthology of people who are writing right now. I think anthologies feel like homework, partially because everybody is dead, uh, or they feel pointless because everyone's alive, but that means that only safe choices have been made to please the living poets and to make people like the editor of the anthology. I don't want Loose Unit to be like that. I want it to be deeply unfair. <laughs> this is my... I want it to be totally idiosyncratic. I want it to be... I want total editorial control and I want it to be clear that like I've made these choices purely because I just like these poems and, and I'll probably piss off like most of my poetry friends and Um, confuse people, but like if you did it that way, if you did an anthology that way or like an issue of a journal for for that matter, if you just said as an editor like this is just my taste, I am a flawed, myopic, ill-informed human being who likes poetry and these are the poems that I like, then at least you could trust those choices. And you could disagree with them. It'd be more fun to disagree with them too. Because you could say, oh my God, you like that poem? That poem's bullshit. What about this other poem? It could just be a bit more fun and relaxed. I had a number of people contact me after the episode I called Steak Night, follow up to the episode about reviews. And yeah, quite a few people said, yes, fun, it would be nice if it was fun. There's nothing fun about the Faber and Faber poetry journal diary, whatever the fuck it was called. That thing is not fun. That thing is about as fun as a throw cushion. So, all right, uh, I, I need to get I need to get more concrete here, and I have been really rambling for quite some time now without getting to my point. So the anthology is called Loose Unit. I am its sole editor. I apologize to no one. I am making these choices (laughs) based purely on um, my taste at the time, what I'm interested in. The one rule is it can't be boring. I've come up with one poem (laughs) that I want to include. I'm I'm including this poem um, as an example of what I'm thinking of. And I'm going to read it to try to give you the flavor. And then, uh, ideally, if if you like this line of thinking, if you don't think I'm completely batshit, maybe you can give me suggestions of your own. And then we can submit this thing to Penguin. And then we can have an Australian everyman poetry series entry. Okay, does that sound good? All right, I'm going to read this poem now. This is a poem from a book by a poet called William Fox. It's called Apollo Bay. It came out in the Rabbit Poets series. Uh, uh, When was it published? Very recently, 2023. I met William for about 10 minutes at sick leave about three months ago. I'm not in touch with him. I hadn't read his book when we spoke, but I since got it because I'm also a rabbit poet. And so I get, I get sent the journal and I get sent the books that are published by rabbit. And I finally sat down and read it. I think it's pretty bloody great. Like I really, I really have enjoyed getting to know these poems, but there's one in particular, which I feel has this flavor that I want to put in my loose unit anthology. What I will say about it before I read it is I don't think this is a perfect poem and I think that's really important. I don't want any perfect poems in this anthology either. So this is a poem. It's got a very simple title. It's just called Men. Men by William Fox. The first time I had a girl cry on me, I cannot think what was more formative. Particularly if it's on a packed train, you start to question your own discretion and inappropriate things like, what am I meant to explain by my face to those watching on? This is not an emergency requiring attention, but it is. I was brought up on civility in that. Period dramas, re-corsets are automatically good Can we at least hold the horses of our dead seriousness until we get off? Until your screaming in the sporadically lit suburban street is less unsettling to me? I am about the sanctity of little family apertures you can spot from the sidewalk. And you have no idea how much my dad would crack the shits at any commotion past eight or nine o'clock. I know I did wrong smoking a bong actually in front of you when your dad has that as well as porn to hide from and sadden and terrify your mum. The enormity of this is unaided by the rain, which distracts mascara down your face and ensures every headlight going past splashes its inquisition in a vast, noisy tinfoil wave going our direction, or at least where you've left off towards the next intersection. I'm desperate to go back and ask my mates, but never will. Nothing can be as inconspicuous as control. So it's just called Men. Apparently it won first prize in the Melbourne Poets Union International Poetry Competition. I, have been thinking about this poem since I read it a couple of months ago. I have a lot of questions about it. I don't really know whether it is a confession or an indictment. Like, is William Fox writing this? This feels to me like a real experience. This feels like it's based on something that really happened maybe it's both maybe he's confessing that from his point of view but he's also kind of looking back at a at a younger version of him himself and and with a with a, a critical eye like i didn't know what to do i couldn't handle that situation i had no strategies and i didn't know who to ask and even if i did know who to ask i couldn't ask them i love a poem that just uses a title as a, what would I say, like a proposition, a a provocation and then the whole poem is an answer to the title. I'm very bad at titles so I think that that's, I, I quite admire that. It's not totally, it felt better when I read it actually, when I read it out loud than when I was reading it on the page, but there are a couple of moments where it feels a bit syntactically shaky. Like this section, the enormity of this is unaided by the rain, which distracts mascara down your face and ensures every headlight going past splashes its inquisition in a vast noisy tinfoil wave going our direction. Or at least where you've left off towards the next intersection. Like I know what he means when he says, or at least where you've left off towards the next intersection, but it's a little bit unclear it's a little bit, there there are moments in this poem of kind of like, huh, what's, what does that mean? What is that referring to? And, and I like that. I like the, the rough edges of it. I love the specificity. I love, I know I did wrong smoking a bong actually in front of you when your dad has that as well as porn to hide from and sadden and terrify your mom. I like the way that this guy, um, how much of it is. Is William and how much of it isn't, well, we don't really know, but I like the way that he, he's taking responsibility kind of 60% of the way. It's, you know, it's like a deeply, deeply unsatisfying, like a very sincere and yet very unsatisfying apology. It's fascinating. It, it kicks up a whole bunch of questions. And The last thing it is, even if it's imperfect and a little bit rough and yeah, maybe, maybe it even says too much, but the last thing it is, is boring. Like that's fucking interesting. What, what's he saying? What's he saying about men? What's he saying about men and women? I think we should hear it again, actually, now that I'm editing this back. I think I have a different understanding of the last line this time around. Men by William Fox The first time I had a girl cry on me, I cannot think what was more formative. Particularly if it's on a packed train, you start to question your own discretion and inappropriate things like, what am I meant to explain by my face to those watching on? This is not an emergency requiring attention, but it is. I was brought up on civility in that, period dramas, re-corsets are automatically good. Can we at least hold the horses of our dead seriousness until we get off? Until your screaming in the sporadically lit suburban street is less unsettling to me? I am about the sanctity of little family apertures you can spot from the sidewalk, And you have no idea how much my dad would crack the shits at any commotion past eight or nine o'clock. I know I did wrong smoking a bong actually in front of you when your dad has that, as well as porn, to hide from and sadden and terrify your mum. The enormity of this is unaided by the rain, which distracts mascara down your face and ensures every headlight going past... Splashes its inquisition in a vast, noisy tinfoil wave going our direction, or at least where you've left off, towards the next intersection. I'm desperate to go back and ask my mates, but never will. Nothing can be as inconspicuous as control. I think I get it now. I think I get the last line. That's really cool. You can do nothing and that can be a very effective control strategy. I like that. That's my reading, William. Am I right? You can tell me next time. <laughs> so that's my first choice for Loose Unit, the anthology that I'm making and pitching to Penguin Random House. That's um, not a safe choice for me to make because William's alive. I'll probably run into him at the next sick leave or similar. It'll probably be quite awkward now that I've said all this. I don't know if he remembers me. I don't know anything about him, except that he wrote this book called Apollo Bay, which I quite like. And he's a rabbit poet. I'm a rabbit poet. So that's a really obvious choice for me to make, like somebody who's in easy arm's reach. It's way too easy. But this is a poem I keep thinking about. And isn't it better to make an anthology that's just like, this is just what's on my mind kind of thing, like just to admit that? just to be really what is the word i'm looking for like maybe selfish just to make really selfish choices it's not a i mean it's not a it's not a particularly defensible strategy and it's not a it's not a perfect strategy by any means but i still think it's better than choosing a bunch of poems that are so inoffensive so like so safe so 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 safe that they can be put up in a in a train carriage in a in a gift book diary like would you want your poem in the faber and faber poetry journal i can i feel like i can hear people saying yes of course i would (laughs) make lots of money i'm sure that yeah i'm sure that that would be a good payday like in poetry terms but I don't know, like what, what happens to that little poem when it gets, like, tamped down in that way? So yeah, I want more. I want more poems like "Men." I think, I think it wouldn't work in a train carriage. I think it wouldn't work in the Faber and Faber diary. It's for one thing, it's too long. It requires too much attention. It's not decorative. It's not pretty. It's talking about something that is. Yeah, pretty uncomfortable. But it's interesting. And I like it. So it's going in my anthology. I I want to know if you have other ideas. Do you have other other poems that we can put in this pitch? It could happen. Who knows? Maybe someone from Penguin is listening. We can have we can make a gift book that is actually like that is secretly stealthily like a bit of a landmine of a poetry anthology like you open it and all of a sudden you realize oh I actually have to pay attention (laughs) this is actually this is actually gonna do something to me when I read it I'm not just going to glaze over okay so that was my lo-fi ramble what have I got four hours until um, Taylor Geddon as I said, I'm working on a couple of bigger things. One of them's one of them is sort of poetry related. One of them is not poetry related at all. I'm thinking that might come out next week. Uh, I'm excited to finally put that one out. And yeah, you know, for the for people like John who are like, could you please get back to the poems, like. I do, um, I know that's not what you said, John, but that's that's how I'm taking it. <laughs> uh, I do, like that's on my mind as well, um, as I kind of go down this this path of doing whatever the hell I want. I don't want to get too, too far away from the poetry, but I also want to continue to have fun. So you're a tough guy, like you really rough guy. just can't get enough guy. just always Make your mama's sad type, Make you go from that type. I seduce your dad type. I'm a bad guy. Duh. Whoa. Whoa. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do.